0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real-Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime at and we will be more than happy to follow up. Joining me today is Leif Elgathan, CEO and founder of RetroLux. Leif is a serial entrepreneur who has focused on building and scaling clean energy companies. Leif is also president and co-founder of the Idaho Clean Energy Association. Leif, thanks for joining me today.
1: Hey, thanks Blaine, really happy to be here and really excited to not only share a little bit about RetroLux, but most importantly, explore how lighting systems, how other operational technologies in the built environment are quickly going to more of an informational technology, driving the internet of things, providing the infrastructure infrastructure backbone, and in many cases, doing things that are really important to me personally, like reducing energy and costs for our customers. So all really fun stuff that I look forward to sharing with, uh, with your viewers.
0: Excellent. Well, we're going to cover or dive into all those topics. I know you and I have met a few times at various conferences focused on digital transformation generally, and we'll we'll touch on that as well in a bit. But first, uh, tell us a little bit more about RetroLux.
1: Yeah, so RetroLux really comes from my vision to make it much easier for folks out there that are replacing lighting, fixing HVAC systems, working in the buildings that people live, work, and play in, to do their jobs more effectively, and leverage digital tools to be more transparent with their customers, with the stakeholders, and most importantly, with their companies so they can be more uh, cost-effective and more profitable. So that's really what we focus on is helping those companies do a better job through digital tools, through productivity tools, access to market, and design tools that help them understand how in the world are they actually gonna install and design these new digital systems that frankly look very foreign to them when they're used to working on dumb systems so there's a lot of work there to be done and that's really where we really strive to to make our mark Hmm.
0: the interesting thing in that description is you didn't use the words clean tech or even (laughs) clean energy that much is that the are, are you not a clean tech company
1: you know, we um, we do things that the broader industry would consider to be clean tech, but that's not how we describe ourselves. Um, when I started with the company, clean tech everybody was going after it um, as a new industry, and that's something I'm personally very passionate about. I want to keep fossil fuels in the ground, but the reason that we do it, and the reason our customers ask us to do it, is because it impacts their bottom line. When they're not using as much energy as they used to, they're not paying the power company as much. When they're generating their own energy, they're not paying the power company as much. When they're making their employees more productive, they're seeing their bottom line improve. Those are the reasons that business owners make these decisions, and along the way, they love the fact that they're doing something great for the environment, they love the fact that they're uh, being a good steward of resources, but those are all now secondary to making money, making businesses better, and most importantly for me, Uh, creating a better environment for humans to work and play and live in. So that's really what I think the market wants. It's really actually what makes businesses run. And we're doing a lot of good along the way, which makes me really happy. Hmm.
0: What percent of the decision-making process for a CEO who's thinking about uh, embracing these solutions, what what percent of that do you think is truly about bottom line versus uh, PR and and perception? And
1: maybe that's shifting over time. 95%. Um, I have yet to see very many companies and I've been doing this for the last decade of my life. I've been in the clean energy industry and less than 5% of the market will make a decision purely based on the clean energy benefits. Um, most all of them have to justify it with a direct financial benefit to their company or a direct benefit to their employees or stakeholders. Um, they love to report it on all that. It's great marketing. Uh, Many of the CEOs, the CIOs, the people making those decisions have a personal vested interest in preserving our environment for their kids and their grandkids. Absolutely. End of the day, they look at the bottom line and it has to make dollars and cents. And that's one of the things that we at RetroLux are super focused on is making that crystal clear to those business owners that they are making a good financial decision for their company. And the time is now to make that decision so they don't delay an action that is good for the environment, but also good for their bottom line. Hmm,
0: really, really interesting. How did you get to where you are today? What's, what's the journey that brought you to be a clean tech guru and, and our clean energy guru and provide these solutions mm-hmm. and uh, found Retrolex?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question. The reality is I didn't always have this as a passion and I'm not sure exactly when I realized that sustainability, clean energy was my personal passion. But I do know that it came somewhere to a head my junior year in college. I was in chemical engineering on a track to work in oil and gas or other big process facilities and realized it just wasn't what I wanted to do in life. So I switched gears and said, how can I take this education and do something um, positive for the world that I believe in and realized that I was very uniquely talented in clean energy um, and energy conservation and renewable energy as a general uh, kind of field and decided to focus all my efforts on that. Um, The idea for Retrolux came about five years into my career. I was a practicing engineer to start and then I started an energy service company and we would go out and help commercial building owners, industrial uh, facility managers, agricultural processors, um, understand how they were using their energy and how they could reduce their energy either through conservation, energy efficiency, putting in renewable energy systems to offset their energy consumption and most importantly, we'd help them understand how to do that cost effectively with return. And if they didn't have their own capital, we'd help them even find financing. And so that's really where I started to get into this industry. Um, and along the way, I started to be kind of depressed because everybody was using pencil and paper and Excel spreadsheets. And um, you know, I'm not millennial, but I'm pretty darn close. I'm you know kind of the zennial they call it, Generation X in between uh, millennial and Generation X. And Um, I was like, you know what? Software has to be a part of making this industry scale. And by scaling, we're gonna get more and more technologies to be cost-effective, which is going to allow more and more companies to go through a digital transformation to be more cost-effective again. So scaling begets more scaling, right? Things get more cost-effective, which creates more, which creates more cost-effectiveness. And so I really decided that I had to develop a software company to take my industry, which was very, very archaic, very technology-poor, and give them the tools to be more effective, more cost-effective, and most importantly, be faster at presenting the value prop to their end users on why a digital transformation might make sense for them that by you know, default has benefits to the environment. So that really was the genesis for RetroLux was this idea of, I can only do so much with my own company. How do I take what I'm learning in the systems I'm building and scale them? And software is a great way to do that. Digital transformation is the name of the game and uh, we're seeing it uh, succeed in spades right now.
0: All right, well, I'm glad you brought up digital transformation, because that's where, exactly where I was going next. Yeah. Uh, can you uh, bring to light some examples, you know, with or without customer names, but where uh, you know, clean energy and the solutions that Retrolex is providing have enabled, not just you know, marginal improvements to the bottom line and, and maybe some good PR, but some kind of actual digital transformation in the organization
1: yeah definitely so our customers every day that we work with fit into a few different customer types but many of them are like lighting contractors they're energy service companies these are guys who live out of their truck with a pad of paper and pencil and for the most part haven't gone through any digital transformation when i started retrox we would go into offices that still had fax machines and they use them as their primary source of communication to the outside world other than a phone um so We literally are helping people not only learn how to use a cloud-based system, how to think about understanding um, really IT technology, um, to having to train them on what it even means. So one of our customers will give you an example. Um, I said, hey, we're going to help you do your job from the palm of your hand. You're going to do everything you've been doing, but you're going to do it on an iPad. And he pulls out a phone that had probably been dropped off of a ladder, I don't know, 50 to 100 times. It was so beat up. And he opens it, flips it open, and he goes, I barely know how to text. (laughs) So to get him to basically run his entire business off of a cloud-based system uh, with auto alerts and a mobile iPad he can take information out in the field and work with was a digital transformation for his business. And now that same customer is able to inspire his customers, which are the building owners that he's trying to help move from a Uh, old lighting system to a new lighting system that has network controls, IOT capabilities, real time location um, services, and help him understand how he can make a digital transformation to his business that impacts his bottom line, provides productivity benefits to his business. And so we literally are taking people from a uh, very um, 1990s approach to business all the way through to uh, where the industry is leading today. And we do that very regularly.
0: It's, it's interesting because the cultural aspect and change management aspect of digital transformation continually comes up in our discussions here and, and you seem to have uh, some secret sauce there because how could you possibly take a a gentleman and a company that is using indestructible flip phones and bring them to this world of, you know, real time cloud-based applications and iPads, how do you even do that? Like what? How could you possibly motivate them to make that much change? Or what is it that's, that's causing that to happen?
1: You know, um, there's a few different tactics that I really recommend The first is you really got to listen to your customers and understand where they are at. And sometimes that means you got to remember when you were there because all of us, you know, I'm, I, I mentioned I'm the zennial in between millennials and generation X, I grew up without computers just barely by the time I was graduating high school, we had computers, but when I grew up, they didn't exist. And so i remember when you were making phone calls with a cord connected to the wall because they didn't even have them i still remember that world so i can still connect with them and help them understand that it is possible to um, embrace new technology so first is you really got to get into your customer's head and understand their problem from their point of view and if you remember that or you got people on your team that have been there even better second you really need to wait for them to be ready You cannot force people into this. They have to be at a point where there's a reason that they want to move. And sometimes it's pressure from the market. Sometimes it's just something they've been thinking about for a long time and they're finally ready to go because they got a little lull in their business. It could be that there's a leadership change. Uh, We see a lot of times where dad's handing the business over to his son Mm -hmm. and that leadership change creates an opportunity for them to try new things. So there's got to be some intrinsic reason for that company to want to move. Um, Just like quitting smoking, nobody can tell somebody to quit smoking. You can't get somebody to want to make changes in their business unless it's something they believe is right for them. So we really like to be a resource for them educationally, um, bounce questions off of. So when they are ready to make that change, they feel comfortable knowing that we're there to support them. So those are the two big things that I find are the biggest drivers of success. And of course, once they decide to make that decision, you have to be ready to support them. Um, And I mean, support them. There's no um, amount of support that you can assume they're going to need. Some people are gonna be more low touch, some people high touch, some people want in person, some people want videos. And so you really have to be willing to meet them where they are at and provide them the support in a way that is most meaningful to them. And Mm -hmm. that support I've found never ends. You know, We are not in a business uh, where many of our customers are trained and off and running and we never hear from them again most of our customers are continually wanting more support our industry is moving fast enough which gives us a super awesome opportunity to continue to be an education resource for them and i think taking that on as a obligation to your customer is something that you have to personally believe in because it'll shine through to them Um, and this is not just for us to our customers we share this with our customers you know do the same with your customer because they're gonna have the same needs, the same fears that you may have had at some point. So get used to you know, being there for them and putting that extra level of effort in.
0: Hmm. Can you share with us another anecdote about how, your, how RetroLux has helped to uh, transform a company?
1: Oh man, um, you know, I think um, one of my favorite ways of uh, transforming companies is really working with them from kind of a midstream forward, or maybe they've tried another solution and it didn't work out and they, and they come back to you. Um, and one of the customers I kind of have in mind with that, you know, they'd gone out and then tried um, another software system, uh, maybe a competitor of ours and didn't work out for them. It was wrong time, wrong place. Maybe um, the software just wasn't what they needed. And so then you almost have to come in from a different perspective of helping to unlearn a little bit of what they have thought yeah. they've learned and um, help them understand why that approach didn't work so that they could feel comfortable that the next approach they're going after is going to work. So um, I will say that um, those are a very different approach, uh, those types of customers and those types of situations, you know, and I think they're a lot more, a lot of fun as well, because um, you get to learn from them on what didn't work. And that goes directly back into feeding into the rest of your systems because yep. hopefully... I'm not making the same mistakes with your customers. So um, always think about every opportunity when you talk to a prospect, a customer, um, a partner, as an opportunity to learn how you can do things better. And quite frankly, I feel like we're all in this digital transformation together. Um, mm-hmm. I might be finding out cool things before Blaine does, and then Blaine's gonna find something cool out and he's gonna share it with me. And then together we're stronger. So. I think that as we all go down this journey, it's always good to remember that nobody has all the answers and that we can learn just as much from our competitors, as our customers, as our partners, um, as we can, you know, from going out and Googling it ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we see that a lot as
1: well at Vantic. So, you know, sometimes we
0: come in uh, is, as part of a greenfield project, but in many cases, it's after a failed project you know, after a project that took too long, went way over budget, wasn't anywhere close to achieving its objectives. And then how do you come in and learn from that, but then fundamentally don't do that again, do it, do it different, do it better. So
1: I think those are almost more challenging because you have to figure out somewhere along the way, whether you're going to be able to salvage what was started or you have to start all the way from scratch and both are really hard decisions for anybody to have to make, especially the customer, because yeah. they've got sunk costs, they've got time that they've now blown. And um, many times there isn't a right answer. That's, that's where it's really challenging. It's um, choosing between two not right answers. I yeah. won't say they're wrong, but they're not perfect. And um, that can be really challenging for sure. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we, we can get into how to manage that a little bit, but um, it's a tougher one for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. so unique to the customer and the situation that they've got themselves in.
0: Now, do you tend to work with the business side or the operations side, or do you, or do you ever end up working with the IT department? Do your your customers tend to have IT groups?
1: Yeah, you know, it depends on the size of our customers. So our larger customers will have IT for sure. Uh, Then we may have to interface with them a little bit. Um, for the most part though, you know, our customers do not have IT, you know, the, they're, you know, small, medium, maybe a little bit larger businesses. And the people that we're selling to are the ones that are going to be using it. We're cloud-based, so they don't necessarily need to go to their IT folks to get permission to tie into their servers. Um, so most of the time, it, you know, we're in the operations, the salespeople, uh, the marketing folks that we're selling to. That being said, um, our customers, and we do a lot of education and training for our customers, they are selling to typically three decision makers, They're going to have the facility managers because they're out there, you know, installing lighting, IoT systems, and commercial buildings. So you got your facility manager, somebody who's responsible for making sure the lights turn on. So we call that operational technology. The technology is operating. It's not doing anything else. It's your typical dumb technology. The second decision maker, if they're going to put in a network control system, they're going to put in an IoT system, is going to be the IT department because now you're connecting into their systems. And there's gonna be a massive difference in the amount of um, security that they require, which is gonna have a big impact on how easy that conversation is going to be. Um, So that's the second decision maker. And then in almost all enterprise or corporate sales, at some level, you've got the CFO or the equivalent. You've got the financial decision maker. You'll notice that none of those three are the sustainability director again Mm -hmm. right those three people it has to work it has to be secure and it has to make money or be a cost that they have to incur otherwise right so then if all those things make sense guess who gets called up the sustainability director to figure out how to make this thing look nice for the company Mm -hmm. Uh, right so that is the typical three major decision makers um and i think for our customers many of them are not used to talking to that it department they are used to talking to facility directors. That's their normal customer, and the facility director typically runs it up the flagpole to get the budget approved. Um, so they don't necessarily interact with the CFO, even though we give them awesome tools that give the, that empower that facility director to get a yes from his CFO. Whether that's no money down financing, cash flow positive day one, um, it's a ROI or ROI, IRR calc that's just you know uh, well above their hurdle rate. we give them that information with our software so it's easier for those decisions to be made. Then we also include, you know, how much carbon dioxide are they saving by using less energy, which gets that sustainability director his checkbox. So we make sure we produce reports and information that allow each of those decision makers to say yes. The new one is that IT department because before the dumb light that you put in, you know, the IT department didn't care because it wasn't gonna affect anything. And now it's talking to their servers. It might be sending Uh, data to them pulling data down. Um, One of the best examples that I've heard recently about how IoT is causing massive um, breaches or breach opportunities for corporations was a fish tank in Vegas that was um, used to start pulling massive amounts of data out of a casino. Um, And they used a fish tank's IoT sensor and um, Darktrace, if you're familiar with them, was the company that caught it. Um, but, you know, they are pulling just enough out every day that'd be basically undetectable by the firewalls. And, um, you know, over five days, it gathered a tremendous amount of sensitive information from that casino out of a fish tank. And so when you talk to IT directors, you know, they're all worried about, is that light now going to have a opportunity to create a threat to our business? And so, um, you know, here's another anecdote. You see a lot of companies out there setting up shadow Um, IT systems. and So the facility director, he says, all right, this looks great. I want to put in my smart lighting system, my IoT system on the HVAC, and goes to the IT department. The IT department says, we're not going to let you have this on the cloud. You're not going to be able to use our infrastructure. So the facility director goes back to the vendor, and the vendor says, I got a solution. I'm going to go put a little 5G router out there, and we'll just do this off their system. Well, that's all fine and dandy. The project gets approved. The IT department doesn't even know it exists. Vendor comes in sells the system, gets it installed. He's stoked. He goes out to hang out at his beach house with his big fat commission check. And then the system fails and they can't turn their lights on and off because the router broke. Guess who gets called? The IT department. Yeah. The IT department doesn't even know the thing existed. And now they're frustrated um, with how the thing went down. Very common um thing happening in the industry right now. So again, helping customers, I mean, that the IT department has a real role, they will be involved eventually. And so you need to figure out a way to make sure that you can meet their needs in addition to these other stakeholders that you're used to working with already. Hmm. That's tough because as a salesperson, and I used to come from the business, I'm an engineer, recovering engineer now, um, but I did sales and the less people you got to get yeses from, the more likely yeah. you're going to get to a final approval, right? So one more person that you may not understand how they think, you may not understand their goals and their problems. It's just one more risk that a lot of folks choose to try to get around. And we're yeah. trying to help people understand that you really can't, you really need to engage them. And long-term, you're gonna find that you have opportunities for upselling, reselling later on because you've built a strong relationship and showed that you're competent. Mm-hmm. So those are the type of educational nuggets that we really have to, as an industry, educate our clientele so they can be more successful. Um, and most importantly, we can be uh, allowing these end users to be more successful and hopefully get their digital transformation completed per their schedule um, right. as well. so
0: And not stalled out because they forgot or didn't uh, want to involve IT and they get so far down the road and then things come to a screeching halt, either sure. before the project gets launched or in your, the example you just gave, after it's launched and then there's an issue and a problem and then you can bet there's going to be 20 steps back before they start to move forward again right yep.
1: now you've broken one of the most important things in every customer relation customer supplier relationship which is trust yeah now you've broken trust which means you not only have to gain their trust for the first time you've got to unwind the tr- yep. mistrust that you've uh put into the system yep. so yep. you know you're uh you know that's it's a very that's the hardest situation to get in and um Almost all of us have accidentally at least stepped in that um, cow pie once or twice. I mean, not because we wanted to, but just because we didn't know who the right decision makers were that you had to get in front of. And sometimes yeah. it's an accident, but the more that people can, rip, can be trained to be like, hey, you know, now you're selling something that connects to the Internet. You're going to have to talk to the IT, so get that going as early as possible yeah. so yeah. that you're not scrambling at the end.
0: All right, so changing gears from the organizational, cultural stuff, which is always, often the hardest stuff. uh, You've mentioned a couple times now the notion of real time, you talk about auto alerts, uh, you know, real time applications. Is is real time? Is the notion of real-time uh, being able to take action in real-time, to sense and analyze data coming in from these various devices and then take action as it's flowing, is that becoming more and more important in your, in your business and in the solutions you implement or you see implemented?
1: Yeah, so we are still in the very nascent stages in the building environment for this type of technology. Uh, less than 5% of building lighting systems and HVAC systems are connected right now. So we are still incredibly nascent. That being said, the use cases are being proven as we speak. The case studies are being written. And the big organizations, think CBRE, um, Collier's, Cushman-Wakefield, the big property management companies, the big asset owners, um, McDonald's, Walmart's, they are absolutely looking at this stuff. And they're looking for the use cases that have a cost uh, benefit right now. And some of the common ones that you were seeing in the built environment uh, really come down to real-time location services. Uh, The common examples obviously are you're in an airport and you're trying to find your gate and your phone can take you straight to it. So Google Maps, but for indoors, that's a very popular one, not only for public spaces, but also for office buildings uh, to know where the employees are at. And um, in one case, I think it was... CBRE, commissioned to Study in Europe, where they were able to um, watch how the employees interacted with each other, what desks were being utilized over the course of a couple of months. And they did two things that was really interesting. The first was they found out that Joe on the first floor walked up to see Susie on the third floor three times every day. That means they work together, right? And they said, we need to put them together because they don't go anywhere else. They go to each other. So let's move them next to each other so they're not wasting time walking. The second thing they found was that there was a lot of desks that just didn't get used. And so after that two to three months, they actually were able to reorganize the office space and freed up 40% more space. So the current tenant was stoked, right? Because now they're getting to uh, reduce their office space by 40%. They were now able to lease out the other part of that office space, but because of this service, they got a price premium of 20%. So the company that downsized got a price drop of 20 to 30% after you, you know, do the math. The new entity got needed less space, so they saw a cost decrease, and the building owner got an overall um, lease increase on the building, which directly impacted his net operating income, which justified the infrastructure spend, right? So all of a sudden that one little technology had a massive improvement for that ability that that company's ability to make money and the other two companies inside of the building to save money. So that's really cool. But is that a clean tech technology. I would posit that it is because now all of a sudden that company that got moved in didn't need a whole new building to be built. So all the embodied energy, the energy of all the equipment in it didn't have to exist. So is that a clean tech energy, you know, clean energy company, clean tech business, or is it just good business that happens to have clean tech benefits? So again, you're seeing why the use cases are starting to really drive the benefits, not that it's clean tech, but then you start to look at it and you're like, oh, that is a clean tech uh, play at the end of the day. Um, so that's one really cool one that I see out there. Another one that we're seeing more of is real time sensing, and so you put a sensor in a piece of equipment, and I'm sure you've uh, heard this in other industries it watches the vibration on a motor that runs an HVAC compressor and it starts to wiggle a little bit more than it should. And that automatically sends an alert out to somebody who looks at it and says, yep, that is going out of control. They shut the unit down, send a service tech, he fixes it. Now the equipment lasts, you know, for a little bit longer. Um, I'm an energy engineer. I can tell you if it's wiggling that it's not as efficient. So now you're getting a little bit of energy savings, but most importantly, that equipment's not going to fail as fast. And when I mean by failure, I mean total failure, which means the equipment's gonna last longer. So again, now they don't have to buy a new piece of equipment for say two to three years. The equipment's running more efficient, so they're getting cost savings on the energy. They're getting uh, massive savings on their CapEx. And when that piece of equipment doesn't get built for two more years, all the embodied energy, the cost of shipping, the fuel it took to ship it, the fuel it took to make it, the fuel it took to mine it, doesn't have to exist. So is that clean tech? I'd say, yeah, it is, right? But it's not directly clean tech. So again, you're starting to see how a lot of these tools and benefits that are coming to market eventually turn into a clean tech benefit, but that's not why they're getting executed, not why they're getting built. Uh, The real value is in cost savings and in value to the business. It just so happens to be also good for the planet, which is where I really get excited about this, uh, the new, what I call clean tech 2.0. We're solving really awesome problems for the world and along the way, we're also making it a better place. So yeah. it's the best of both worlds.
0: That's a great way to look at it. And it hadn't occurred to me before, but fundamentally any technology that can improve the efficiency and effectiveness of a business is a clean, is, is a clean tech solution, even yeah. though they might not even be thinking about it that way. But it's a, great, it's a great perspective. Really interesting. Yeah. Well, I do always circle around asking my guests if they'd like to call BS on a particular element of conventional wisdom. Could be inside or outside of. Of clean energy or technology in general, you you know you decide. But is there an area where uh, you you think uh, X and most other people think Y?
1: <laughs> all right. So you asked me to prepare for this one, and I just remembered what mine is. So I'm glad that <laughs> I, I'm glad I had a chance to think about it. I think the Beatles are one of the worst bands of all time. I think you're horrible. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> they are the equivalent of the um boy bands of today. You know, they are Mbop of the sixties. So um Oh no. There you go. I think I think Vantic TV has just come time. to an end. That's it. <laughs> the series is
0: over. I can yeah. <laughs> I can see now it's gonna be a Twitter storm. It's it's all over. Look what you did. We committed no, they, suicide. They, they,
1: they are, they are, they are, they put out some good, uh, some good music, but overall, overall, one of the most overrated bands ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Well, that is, that is creative. Nobody's ever come up with one like that before. So good, good for you, Lee. <laughs> All right. So any, uh, key takeaways or tips for a business leader that's trying to drive this kind of, uh, you know, real-time transformation, whether or not they actually call it a clean energy driven transformation in her yep. business.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest takeaway I would give is really try to meet your customer where they are at and start there. I think most of us that are in the industry tend to live on the edge and we try to get people there fast. And instead you need to go back, really figure out where they are at in their journey. And it takes a lot of listening, a lot of questioning, um, and then create a plan that makes sense for them to get from wherever they are to where they want to go. So you're the Sherpa. You're not uh, the one that's at the finish line cheering them on to come to where you're at. And I think that is the best way to get folks engaged, committed, and when they're engaged and committed, the best chance of success will happen. Hmm. And if Very you really good. need to, you know, you can put your Beatles on in the background and listen to it, and you know, it'll it'll still work out as long as the customer likes the Beatles. Okay. Like to to the Beatles.
0: Okay. Enough with the Beatles. <laughs> that was a good one. Well, that wraps it, Leaf, Thanks so much for joining us today. Really insightful conversation from somebody who's obviously, you know, living this stuff in the real world. So thank you so much.
1: Hey, no problem. Thanks, Wayne.
0: You're welcome. And those interested in hearing more of Leaf's thoughts can follow uh, Retrolux app on Twitter. And of course, check out his company's website at retrolux.com. And you can reach out to me anytime at realtimeadvantic.com. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.